year. Don't cast the drive. You know I had to return the favor, right? Wait, wait for the draw. Once upon a time and without a warning came a super dope chick from California. Don't cast the drive, that's on every street, man. Hosted by V from the 7th Street Band. Hey, don't cast the drive. Don't cast the drive. Don't cast the drive. Welcome back to Dokast and Drive. This is your host, sometimes V. I'm always looking out there for those who are near and far and very artistic out there. So today I have a special guest. Her name is Aaliyah Walls. Uh, she is um, a French horn player, I believe, from Arizona. Is that correct? From Wisconsin. I went to what? school in Arizona. Oh, you went to school in Arizona. That's right. Yeah. So from Wisconsin. <laughs> and uh, now she's here with me. Um, Basically, how I met her as just a quick like TLDR is that um, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, uh, she was like they she referred me to Aaliyah to help her do some recording, and so since then I've just been like, please sign me up for everything. So <laughs> I'm glad to have you actually here on my podcast today. I am very excited to be here, even though I look calm, I'm not calm, but you know that's the magic of Zoom. That is magic of Zoom, right? All right, so uh, just to kind of get into about you, tell me about yourself. What is what are some things that you want folks to kind of know about you? So I, like I said, I'm I am from Wisconsin. I'm currently in Wisconsin. Thanks, COVID. Um, but yeah, so I grew up here with my mom and my brother. Um, and my mom is a church pianist. So like, pretty much from the time I was born. I mean, my mom started playing piano when she was like nine or something, and she started playing for the church when she was like 13 or 14. So she's been doing this a very, very long time. Um, instead of like when she would have to go to choir rehearsals and stuff, instead of like getting us a babysitter, she would just take me and my brother with her. So I was like always around music all the time. Um, she had a band and they would play for like weddings and funerals and like different kind of events around the community within the churches or just like with people they knew from different stuff, work and things like that. Um, so I actually started, um, I wasn't, super interested in like doing music until elementary school when they brought around the band sign up but they were like oh band is like during class time so you leave class i was like oh cool let's let's leave class you know um and so i started out on trumpet actually because um out of all of the ones that one had the least amount of buttons so i was like cool i'll do the trumpet um and i played trumpet from fourth to sixth grade and then when I got to seventh grade is when I switched to French horn and I've been doing that ever since. Um, that's but yeah, so I also funny played, that yeah, you're like, there's no, there's not a lot of buttons, saxophone, that's too much. Wood, multiple buttons, trombone, that's slicing, that looks dumb. Let's do trumpet. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think trombone was an option at that point. Like, I think they did the basic fourth grade, like clarinet, mm -hmm. trumpet, and flute or something like that. Um, and the other ones just had too many buttons. So I was like, well, <laughs> I guess we're playing the trumpet. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun. Um, and then I also took drum lessons for a while. So when I was a kid, I would play drums with them in the band sometimes. Um, and I still do now that I'm here um, with them. And um, also a little bit of piano. So like, once I started, I kind of just started to like, put my feet in everything, um, mm -hmm. which has been fun. But more recently, I've kind of been kind of more wearing the French horn hat predominantly and then focusing more on like arranging and orchestration, trying to get into some composition too. Um, yeah, that's a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I actually like hearing that you kind of grew up in the church learning all these instruments. Um, I know my brother was the same way. Um, we grew up in a couple of Baptist churches in the Monterey area in California. And so they didn't really let me touch any of the instruments. I tried to touch the organ because that sounded like the coolest thing, but our organ player Snoop was like, get down from there. Like, you know, because I, I was a kid, right? Uh, but my brother saw the drum kit and they're like, oh yeah, Steve, you get on the drum kit. I'm like, what is this favoritism with boys? <laughs> Very true. Yes. My brother had no interest in music, um, which is funny now because he's like a huge, he has um, actually a, um, I guess I don't really know what to call it, but this company and they kind of highlight different artists and people doing just really cool stuff. Um, and he shares a lot of ins inspirational stuff, but part of his brand is like doing different playlists and stuff. And he's like a huge mm -hmm. hip hop head, which I think is so funny. Cause like when I was, he like, like called my horn a saxophone for like years. I'm like, dude, it's not, <laughs> it's not, but I just think it's funny now that he's like super into it, but we like help each other learn mm -hmm. new kinds of music and stuff. So I think that relationship has evolved. Pretty you get cool that too. nice crossfire friends over there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I dig it. Um, when you were first starting off on French horn, like I have, from trumpet, I mean, trumpet already has like a nice smaller mouthpiece out of the brass family, but French horn is, you know, you have the partials that are a little bit more uh, sensitive. Um, and also like you're transposing in a different key. So instead of playing in B flat, I believe you were playing in... It's an oh, F. An F. Yeah, that's right. So... Um, Tell me what that, what that transition was like for you, just kind of transitioning into something that has smaller tubing. Um, I think the nice thing about me starting it younger is that kids don't really like think about all of the like theoretical technical stuff. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. There's this piece of metal and I'm gonna blow into it and like sounds are <laughs> gonna come out, you know? Um, and so I think I kind of was going at it from that perspective. Um, but I had gotten pretty decent at the trumpet at that point. Um, and I had a good ear as well. So like learning French horn, you have to really be able to hear. So there's like that picture of like how to describe a French horn to like a piano player or something. And it's like the piano keys start off like normally. And then as it gets higher, they just get closer and closer together. Okay. And that's like the only way I can think of <laughs> to describe French horn. Because once you get to a certain register, you can play a whole scale without moving your fingers. And it's just crazy. Um, like the amount of control that you have to have to be able to do that. Um, as a kid, obviously, I could not do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, the like the fingerings were similar enough, and then mm -hmm. the stuff in like beginning band is pretty easy as long as you can hear like what the you know what the notes are supposed to be, which I was pretty good at since I had done trumpet. But then also I was singing and I was playing piano and doing other stuff, so like I kind of had that um, like a natural aptitude, and then also practice on other instruments. Oh too. yeah, so um, it sounds like you had a pretty good foundation then. Yeah, for sure, yeah. and I think that uh, definitely helped. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was playing trombone. Uh, I'm I felt lucky <laughs> because, like you know, the partials felt more obvious. Um, mm -hmm. And I sure. started with trombone as a kid, and like you said, you don't really think about like really how difficult it is to get to whatever notes. Like you just want to try to sound what you hear. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I see. I did a brass fundamentals class in college and trumpet was really easy to adjust to, tuba was easy to adjust to, but the moment that someone put a French horn in my hand, I said, I don't, I don't F with this. Like, this no, is not thank you. <laughs> I felt I so pretend bad. I do not see it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I, it's I really have... hard. <laughs> I, there are days, I actually haven't touched my horn in a while because I did like a lot of recording and I'm like working on a lot of editing right now, so I haven't done a lot of mm -hmm. practicing, but... Mm -hmm. 
there are times I like I don't have a single practice session where I don't like threaten to throw my horn out the window. Like it's it's ridiculous. It's pretty terrible. I actually have a funny trombone story though, because I played trombone a little bit too in high school. Mm-hmm. Um I was this was before I started. So I started playing trombone like junior year and I only played for like two years to join the jazz man because they didn't have enough. Um but one of the trombone players, they used to sit behind me in band and he was like I don't like know what the notes are. I just see the notes on the page and I know like what position to go to. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It's so dumb. Like, how do you like what? But then I started playing the trombone and I was like, I'm not reading the music. I just know like, okay, that's on that line. And that means like whatever position. And I was like, it's so weird. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But then I did it. And I was like, oddly, I could play trombone and not read music and still know what I'm doing and that's very weird to me because that like can't happen like they're so different but oh and, and that's where I struggled and that's absolutely where I struggled because like that was the same thing with me when I was in middle school I just see the notes or yet, better yet I would see this where the scale would start or whatever the pattern was I'm like oh I know all the positions and where it feels like but once I tried French horn in high school or in college I would hit a note and look at the note and I'd look at my teacher and she goes not even close i'm like come on i struggled for like three weeks it's so it's so hard and like i i haven't worked with very many beginner french horns um and the ones that i have have like had a pretty good ear but there's like a lot of singing involved like Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning much more singing than actual playing because you have to know like okay i'm gonna play because you can see that and you can be like, oh, yeah, that feels like this. But if you don't hear it, like, you can easily hit something else because there's so many notes right there that you can also hit uh, with the same fingering. So it's, like, <laughs> it's really difficult. But, you know, it's rewarding when you, like, when Absolutely. you get start getting stuff, you know. So it's fun. It's, yeah, you know, you for people like a, me who like a challenge. Yeah, you get fun. to sound like a badass, like, once you actually understand what the hell you're doing, like, you know, I always say, like, hey, you know, all the music that John Williams does, there's a lot of French horn, there's a lot of trumpet, there's a lot of, fan, like, brass fanfares in there, like, for sure, you, you can get to sound like that once you get a handle on, like, your partials and your breath control, and basically all the foundations that you can do with playing brass instruments, so it, it is definitely rewarding, but the initial steps are you it's gotta so hard. work hard you gotta work hard. and you have to like really want to do it otherwise you're going to give up because you're like this is too hard like who would do this you have to be like i'm going to do this and then you spend 10 years and you still don't sound that good but you're better so mm-hmm. you know it's fine <laughs> so what was the final like you know you, you told you just said that um that you were not initially uh, interested at first but what was the breaking point for you was it when you're still a kid or when you're in high school like when was when was it when you said i'm going to do french horn professionally um so i'm trying to figure out a way to shortly <laughs> say the story um yeah well, so I, as long as you want <laughs> <laughs> okay um yeah so i like i started trumpet and when i got by the time i got to uh, middle school so i did one year of trumpet in middle school and then um two years of french horn except my middle school when I was in eighth grade merged with the high school because our school district was trying to do this thing where they would like pair a really high performing middle school with a low performing high school to try and like you know bring up the high school except it didn't really work but you know so we paired with this high school and so when I was in eighth grade since it was high school we had to start marching band and so my band director was like, oh, there's no French horns in the marching band and like I knew about mellophone because I was that kid who was always like 
researching music stuff online mm-hmm. and had no life, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, but I was just like, okay, whatever. There's no French horns or whatever. And we didn't have mellophones anyway. So I was like, okay, I've never seen someone march with a French horn. So I'll just play the trumpet because, you know, I can still play the trumpet and it's right there. Um, so long story short, I was playing trumpet in marching band and when marching band was over. I was like, okay, great. Like time to play French horn. But I was pretty good at the trumpet at that point. And she was like, nope, you're going to play trumpet because you're the best trumpet player. And I was like, but I, but <laughs> I don't want to play the French horn kind of thing. Um, so long story short, there was just like a huge falling out with me and my um, middle school band director. And so I ended up like quitting band and I like had a scholarship for private lessons that I couldn't go to anymore because I had to like be in band to get the scholarship and all this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really crazy. So I didn't like through the end of eighth grade, um, I'd say probably for the majority of it, actually, like after that marching band um i wasn't in band anymore um and so i like worked something out with my teacher where i could still do private lessons but it wasn't the same as like you know being able to play with people and stuff like right, that. right like right. all my friends were still in it and so it just felt kind of, i was like in this writing class and i was like because i like needed an art selective i was like it's so dumb like i don't, I don't care about <laughs> strophes and whatever you know <laughs> but so that happened i went to high school and i joined um band and we did marching band which he didn't lie. He was like, I have mellophones, but I'm not going to let you use them because I just don't feel like it. So I marched with a French horn my mm-hmm. freshman year of high school, which what? broke my tooth, which was fun. Oh. Yeah, it's um, not a fun time. Um, oh. and I definitely have like dental damage from that, but you know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I did that and it was, you know, a character building experience. Um, you were so polite. But yeah. <laughs> like oh character building experience oh my god <laughs> yeah but um so i did that and then i got to play mellophone the rest of the time and like throughout college and everything but i think it was my junior year of high school um i knew i wanted to do actually i don't i don't think i knew what i wanted to do actually i thought i wanted to do like information technology or something in college because that's what my dad did and mm-hmm. he was like he would always tell me he was like you're a black woman in it like you're gonna make so much money and i was like okay cool like i'll do that i like money you know um right right but <laughs> um then the um my band director like had a heart attack and passed away like it was all super sudden um and i hadn't talked to her since all of that stuff went down when i was in eighth grade so and i would see her around at different you know like district festivals and things like that but we just never spoke because it was like a really kind of weird falling out um type situation but I realized that like after that like after I got not kicked out I call it I got kicked out because mm-hmm. that's essentially what happened but you know mm-hmm. um after that that's when I was like I don't feel like myself like I'm taking this writing class and I don't like it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but that was kind of like one of the first big things that I was like I don't this doesn't feel right kind of thing. And then the moment I was like back in band, I mean, everyone outside of that situation, like the place I was taking lessons from and like everybody else in the community was really supportive of me. Um, and I think at that moment I was like, oh, I need to be doing this. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm not a writer. It's just not for me. That's not my path, you know? Um, but yeah, so I think that was probably the biggest realization. Like when she passed away, um, I was like, oh, that was a pivotal, like, that was the thing that made me want to do this and then so that's actually what led me to do music education for my undergrad degree because um i was like this was a really negative like educator experience for me but there's and then throughout high school i had had so many positive interactions with my educators i was like i want to make a positive impact on 
people too. And then applying the same things my dad said, like there's not a lot of black women in the music education world in general. Yeah. And so I was like, that's a pretty, I mean, even in performance too, but especially in music education, um, like at a, at a non-general music level, even at general right. music, but like more so when you get up into like ensembles and stuff, it's just not, um, so that there's was not, yeah, there's, of- yeah, there's definitely not a lot of us there. Um, and the same thing with, uh, I mean, your, your dad's right in these spaces that he's talking <laughs> about information tech to music education. There's actually not a lot of black women. I've never met a black woman in education until, until honestly, I actually, yeah, I haven't met anybody until after I graduated college. Um, And like, it was just kind of like this weird thing where like, I felt like having kind of imposter syndrome with going to school and, um, you know, just kind of going through the whole like, like, where do I belong here? Do I even belong here? I want to be a conductor. I want to do all these things. But at the same time, like, there isn't really anyone there for me to kind of see myself, like, in these spaces. And I felt really, I felt often kicked out. Um, not like, yep. not in a way where, like, someone's saying, oh, you suck and you shouldn't be out here. But I felt like the criticism always hit me harder. So it was always mm-hmm. harder for me to feel like I belonged in these spaces. So, I'm curious when you were going to school, um, like while you were going to school in Wisconsin versus going to school in Arizona, like when did you, did you, did you kind of feel the same way uh, where like there was a lot of spaces that you felt like you were trying to belong in, but it didn't feel like you were belonging in? Mm, That's a really like complicated question for me, I think, because Mm -hmm. I've always been in environments where I was like the only or like one of the only um, so when I was in Wisconsin, I, I, um, did a program called Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra, um, throughout high school. And so I, you know, I started off in like their, you know, lowest group when I was a freshman and eventually worked my way up to their highest group. Um, and it was just like, I think up to a certain point, and this was not like maybe a couple of years ago, I just didn't, like, I knew I was black, but I didn't like, that wasn't like a... I don't even know the word I want to say, but it wasn't like a like big part of like how I presented myself, I guess. Like you see that I'm black and like that's enough kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't want you to focus on me being black. I want you to focus on like my like, you know, the skills I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Which to an extent I still um I still think that way, but I think that there is kind of like what you were saying and being able to see yourself in something like there's power in being like, yeah, I'm skilled at this. And also like, because people think I like, because I look like this, people think that I'm not going to be, you know, so Mm -hmm. embracing that I am and that like, yeah, I am. And I put in as much work, if not more than you to like prove that I am, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so in terms of fitting into spaces, I've never really felt, um, not like outwardly like I don't fit in there have been definitely like microaggressions or like things that I look back on now and I'm like that definitely wouldn't have happened like if I was a white man or even a white woman or even just Mm -hmm. a non-black person like in general Mm -hmm. you know my skin was two shades lighter like would that have happened at the time I was like what am I doing wrong I wasn't doing anything wrong like this was the problem which is sad that that's still like um a thing um but I've always just brought like my most authentic self to the table. Like I've mm-hmm. never tried to be someone else or, um, you know, act like someone else. 
And I think that's really helped me kind of stay grounded. Um, even as I'm still, you know, I'm still like figuring out parts of my identity because even in like embracing blackness as like a mm-hmm. instrument, French horn player, like what? <laughs> Those two things do not like, <laughs> when you think black person, you don't think French horn at all. <laughs> like, um, it's just, and, and it's not that a bad thing, but it's just kind of like, sometimes I still do have trouble being like, how do I, you know, bring my blackness to this space or like how do I bring my French hornness to a black space you know yeah um, and so far like people have been really you know just like wow what you do is dope or like I've never heard that kind of thing before and that's like really reassuring because it, it makes me feel like I'm uh you know I am able to kind of like bridge those two things together um so yeah I'm just gonna try and keep just being myself and mm-hmm doing my thing that's been working out so far so yeah no it's incredible um and same as as I'm going to keep saying same as me but similar (laughs) I align (laughs) the stars align here no I feel like it's the same thing like not only that it's like women in trombone like there's they now there's copious amounts of women in trombone like I don't know where everyone's saying that there's no women in trombone there's many 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 spaces where there's women um but they'll see a lot of black women very scarce like the question mm-hmm. is like who's your black who's your favorite black uh trombone player is it melba liston haha ha. i'm like ha 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 yeah because that's the only one i like, know right now <laughs> who else do i have to choose from lol yeah okay <laughs> it's hard um and even the ones that like i do look up like it, they had very short careers um where mm-hmm. a lot of them were like okay i was a performer for like this stint of time and then i'm not making money and i have a family so i need to either go into nursing or be an administrator so it's like it's really really hard to find long-winded no pun intended uh black women in trombone that's for sure and i'm sure it's difficult for you to find black women in the french horn world too um so as for spaces um it looks like that how we met um, the person, the mutual person who I will actually name off because I'm sure he would appreciate it, Jake Rocco. Uh, he was in Kappa Kappa Psi. So is that mm-hmm. the fraternity that you were also in, correct? Yeah. So Jake and I, like? when did I meet Jake? I don't even remember. And we were never like super close or anything because mm-hmm. what school? San Jose? Yeah, San, San Jose State. Okay, yeah, San Jose State. <laughs> so we were in, um, Kappa Kappa Psi is broken up into districts like based on the region you're in. Um, so Arizona and California are in the same district. And so I would see him at different like district events and things like that. Um, and I think I got an award actually is how we like connected or something. And he was on the council that same year that I got that award. Um, but yeah, Kappa Kappa Psi was um, it's something I did all four years of my undergrad. Um, it's a pretty cool um, organization in that each chapter is just very unique depending on like the school, you know, the environment, the relationship that the chapter has with the band or the different bands. So like ASU, um, at least when I was active, I'm not really quite sure what they're up to now, especially with everything being virtual and stuff like that. But um we did different things like for different kind of bands. So how we served the marching band was like different than how we served the concert band and stuff like that. Um, but basically it's just a, um, it's a, you know, you have to be nominated and you have to go through like an interview process and be accepted and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of service. So, you know, you would always see if you ever go to a rehearsal, you know, there's people putting out water jugs or like lining the fields and putting out the field markers and things like that. That's all KK Psy people. Um, mm-hmm at games, you know, refilling water jugs for people or running, you know, little, little, basically anything that the band needs you to do, like KK Psy was there. So in concert mm-hmm. band, that's like 
setting up the chairs and the stands for people so when they get there they can just go like sit down and warm up you know um little mm-hmm. stuff like that and then it looks different you know sometimes maybe we'll go and do like an information session at a high school or um you know we'll go buy some cookies and fruit punch for the concert band so they can like have a nice little you know so it just mm-hmm. depended on what they needed at any given time um yeah so that that's a big component the service um there's also a lot of leadership development like i think 95 percent of my leadership skills now like came from my experience there um which i think is uh might be um like unique to the school i was at because our sponsor was he's more of an overseer than like a person who would like do stuff for us um mm-hmm. which was really nice i spent two years as president at my school and so um that was a lot of like just learning like how to do things how to like make mistakes and like how to fix that mistake you know mm-hmm. um and i'm sure other organizations you know give you that same kind of experience but something it was meaningful to me because it was connected to music and like i was in marching band and the school of music which at asu aren't um affiliated mm-hmm. so um i was in a really unique position where i felt like i kind of could bridge the two together i feel like that's like a like theme with me like trying to bring things together mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i mean it was um it was really good i mean obviously there were parts of it like my whole senior year i was was like what will happen if i just don't show up to this meeting and just like quit like what if i disband the chapter right now you know um it was very stressful (laughs) violence (laughs) i'm like a chaotic you know evil sometimes um but yeah i mean it was all it all ended up being worth it like i mean my senior year as president was like probably the hardest thing i've ever done but we um they have a two like every two years there's a convention and we ended up winning like the best chapter award and i was like okay like i was like okay like this stress was all worth it you know um but yeah so it's you know it was a good learning experience and i think it made it even more worthwhile that it was like connected to music which is something that i'm like so passionate about so mm-hmm. yeah no that's awesome yeah i i remember the kappa kappa side um it had an interesting surge of things. I, I was a third person looking in, <laughs> to, to say the least, but I was I'm basically- curious what you think about it, like as someone on the outside looking in, cause I don't, like, I'm very curious. <laughs> yeah, uh, so when I first started, it was everyone, basically, if you were in Kappa Kappa Psi, you were definitely in the marching band. <laughs> so mm. they, the members that were in Kappa Kappa Psi, I mean, there were sparse members who were in like the symphonic bands or the wind ensembles or any of the other ensembles on campus, but they were mostly intertwined with just the marching band. And at, when I first got there, and this is San Jose State's culture, so they're going to be like, God damn it, Veronica's going to shade us again. <laughs> but it, w- it felt like a Scott Pearson fan club. Um, and Scott Pearson at the time was the marching band director. And like, he was really intense, really sweet when you're talking to him one-on-one, but really intense on the field and really intense about recruitment. Um, and so he was there and then everyone's like, Scott Pearson this, Scott Pearson that. And I remember the other bass trombone player who was also in Kappa Kappa Psi and was also in marching band was just like intensely on my case all the time. And granted, I only did marching band for one year. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm in college. I'm just going to do it for one year and just see if I like it. And I tried it. I'm like, "Mm, not for me. (laughs) And that's okay. Yeah. But I mean, I I was definitely ready to give up by the end. (laughs) So... So yeah, but like other than that, like as for like seeing them do things and services, um, 
I feel like it was more like the behind the scenes because I didn't really see anything actively out there. Um, I did see that they did serve a lot more towards the marching band because of, I think, just biases. Um, but I did see that they did do a lot of things for the um, for the symphonic bands as well. And then um, as for like their, I would see a bunch of pictures because they had their own like shadow box. Uh, which had like a panda and apparently there's a whole thing with stealing each other's mascots that i thought was insane i yes, remember this it's a problem so <laughs> it's, a, it's a real problem yeah i've seen folks get stressed out like the whole shift in the music building would change if the mascot was missing and they would blame me someone who's from the outside in because i was also very chaotic neutral in the in the music building when i was there during my undergrad so they were like veronica has it veronica has it i'm like i'm not even part of this frat and you guys are blaming me i don't understand but they're like but you're always here check her locker i'm like it's not there i don't know why you guys are so upset over a stuffed animal go to the carnival and get another one <laughs> oh my gosh that's the funniest thing i've ever heard yes it's a big thing yeah <laughs> I won't get into it because we could talk about Kappa Kappa Psi all day, but I know there's other things to talk about. But yes, mascot sailing. I mean, probably not. That's probably not going to be a thing anymore because like Corona, you know, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> in the past it was a, a thing. So absolutely. But yeah, like, I mean, I can tell like the people who were like, you know, the older sisters, older brothers, or like, you know, the mentors of the incoming generation they did a really great job with recruitment i thought and they also did a really great job with sustaining those relationships and it, and i thought it was cute like i thought everybody had a really good time i mean there's always going to be like little bumps and rumors that go around um because it's a gathering of people so that's inevitable mm -hmm. um but i thought it was cute like and also at the time why didn't i join and i'm talking about them like i know them uh i was very anti-fraternity anti-sorority when i first joined san jose state so um and it wasn't because i was convinced that all sororities and fraternities were very much so like the movies like legally blonde and all that stuff and that wasn't that wasn't my thing and so i'm like i don't want this i don't want conditional relationships i don't want to put money into relationships so that's where i was coming from with that but also like my opinions don't have to reflect the reasonings of why other people during these frats because i get it there's some people who are very social and very outgoing who can make connections and friends like within like the same like hour that you're talking to somebody over like beers or whatever but i also understand that there's people who who may need a little bit more of a boost and that's okay and so that's where i was kind of coming from with that but again everybody joins these things for their own for their own motives so i would needed to get out of that headspace that is like friends for hire when really that's not really the case <laughs> yeah i definitely that was something i mean i wasn't like consciously like i'm never joining a sorority you know but um it wasn't like in my like i wasn't like i'm gonna go and i'm gonna pledge blah 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 like that wasn't something that mm -hmm. i was interested in doing and i mean so before i even like moved to arizona someone messaged me and they were like i think you'd be great for kappa kappa psi and i'm like what's a kappa like what is that you know um and to be honest like when i first started like i wasn't even thinking about the service stuff i didn't even notice they were like putting stuff out or like i just thought the water was there because it's arizona and it's 120 degrees like we need water or else we're gonna pass out you know yeah. <laughs> um, but um like from you know the first like they have these like recruitment mixers and things um 
I literally just felt like a bunch of friends hanging out. And I was like, that's pretty cool, you know, um, because our marching band is so big at ASU. Like, ASU is just a really big school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, like, a way for me to kind of find – and it was, like, the people I had been hanging out with already that were all kind of, like, interested in this, too. So I think that was another thing um, that helped. And then just getting in there and, like, feeling everyone's energy. Like, it was good juju, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, this doesn't feel like any kind of, like, weird, you know, like you're not going to, like – do some weird hazing thing to me like we're just chilling someone's playing a guitar in the corner and we're like singing you know it was just chill so i think um it's definitely a different like different vibe in terms of what you like what you would think of fraternity or sorority like to Mm -hmm. me didn't match that at all like it just felt like some friends hanging out in a room playing the guitar and singing a song you know (laughs) yeah and i think that's what i appreciated from the culture of that it it definitely proved me wrong on what uh what a frat is supposed to how frats actually carry themselves um and don't get me wrong San Jose State had their had their number of frats that were just a bunch of a bunch of a bunch of boys who just wanted to drink a bunch of beer <laughs> and same thing with yes. sorority girls where it's like just a bunch of sorority girls who thought they were clean when they were living with their parents and then realized that they're disgusting so like I'm not going to name off which one is those are, but there's definitely some of those at San Jose State. We call it Frat Row. It's 11th Street on yeah. San Jose because there's a bunch of sorority and fraternity houses, but the only ones that didn't ha- really have a house were the music fraternities. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was fine because all of them lived in the dorms anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so you... I, I'm going to say something on this podcast and you can take it however you want to, but you definitely kind of saved my life with music a bit. Um, I was in a place um, where as that I was on the brink of just quitting, like just saying, I'm just done playing trombone. There's no real future for me to do this. I mean, and I said, I'll probably just play with seven street big band, but I'm probably going to like, you know, wean out. And that's a big deal for me to say uh, publicly. Uh, because there was a lot of things that happened uh, during my upbringing um, with with playing trombone and going through the undergraduate circuit that I felt like this is useless. I suck. I don't want to do this. Until I started to do, um, until you said, hey, I need a trombone player for my projects. And this was during the pandemic where, you know, the sad thing about the pandemic, there was a lot of lives lost. And also, mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of people have lost gigs. Um, and so when you reached out saying like, hey, can you do this recording? Hey, do you, do you, can you do this recording? It kind of rekindled kind of like my dying fire of playing trombone because then I felt like, okay, I can do this in my own space. There's someone here who, feel, like, I'm not saying you needed me, but you, you was one of those things I that d- you're reaching did. out. I definitely did need you. <laughs> Oh, yay. Uh, but yeah, it was like one of those things, like, I know that wasn't your intent. You're like, I just need someone to cover this part. But like, at the same time, for me, I was like, oh, my God, I actually am doing something where I'm helping somebody get their stuff done. And I, I feel like I'm valued as a trombone player again, because they're still asking me back. Like, and so I've been practicing a lot more lately. Um, and thanks to the pandemic for having that time. But also at the same time, like, I felt like, okay, it's not, it's all, it's all dead. I can still do this. I will get over this hump of feeling like I'm too old to keep playing trombone. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, so thank you for I always reaching out. I didn't know I did that. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you for responding <laughs> and not being like, who's this random person trying to face me right now? 
but I'm right? glad. I'm glad because in a way the um like doing the stuff throughout the pandemic has been like it's been experimental but it's also what's kept like my creative fire going mm -hmm. um because i so i don't yeah i have so many stories oh my gosh so when i was a sophomore in undergrad i got into a really bad car accident um oh, no. Yeah, so um, I was driving down the freeway in a Jeep, and um, I don't remember what happened. I think I was, like, switching lanes. Someone was in my blind spot or something, and I, like, overcorrected, and then the car was, like, yeet, yeet, and it flipped mm -hmm. over. Um, and so luckily, you know, by the grace of G.O.D. himself, mm -hmm. um, I ended up, like, I didn't hit anyone. I ended up upside down, but, like, somehow I ended up in the, like, in the shoulder, Mm -hmm. Not the shoulder, the other one, the one on the left side. I don't know if that's still called the shoulder. It's called the shoulder. Um, okay. <laughs> the left shoulder. Um, but I, like, didn't hit anyone on the way over, and, like, I was just off the side, um, which was really nice. I was completely fine. Like, I had to climb out the window because the doors wouldn't open because, it like, that was how the car ended up falling. But, like, yeah, I had maybe, like, a tiny scratch on my knee or something. And so I was like, this is literally crazy because I've seen people get in – like not that serious accidents and like not walk away from it yeah. and so for me that was like a really eye-opening experience because i was like i could be either seriously injured or dead right now and i am neither of those things and like it was it was weird because like my horn was in the car and like all my stuff was and when it first happened like my radio was still playing so i was like this isn't real because yeah if i just flipped my car the radio would not be on <laughs> i was like i'm oh like having God. a dream right now you know but then someone came up and they were like oh my god are you okay i was like oh just kidding it's real i guess you know um just kind of like in shock oh my god. You know? yeah um, and so like it was I, I call it a midlife crisis. I was 19. So like, I hope that's not, I hope that wasn't my midlife crisis, but um, it was like a, you know, I'll call it a quarter life crisis um, or, you know, some fraction of life crisis. Um, Cause I was like, I, that really could have been it. And I don't think I was happy with like what I had done or like how I had been like kind of going through life. Cause I think, um, you know, like I talked about earlier with my band director and that was what mm -hmm. pushed me to do music ed, but pretty early on in music ed, I, I realized that um, just the way, like the way I was being trained to teach music didn't quite align with like how I actually thought about music education. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, especially like being, uh, I'm not like a first generation college student or anything like that, but I just like, I feel like as uh, minorities or even as women, like we just put this pressure on ourselves to like not be a disappointment, you know, just because it's like we have to, prove that like we can do this thing or whatever and I think I was kind of just going on autopilot like okay I signed up to do this so I need to do it um so I actually almost changed my major a few times <laughs> after that mm -hmm. but um I decided like I thought a little bit more about like what kind of stuff I might want to do um and I was like well I think even if I don't necessarily like go teach in a public school or something like the stuff I learn here can still be useful in other ways um mm -hmm. And by the time I really was over it, I only had, like, three more classes left. So I was like, I'm just going to finish this because if I switch now, like, it'll just add time and money mm -hmm. I don't have. So um, I did, but I, I'm really glad I got it because, and I'm, like, I had, I did another, like, interview thing. Um, and they asked, like, do you have any regrets? And no, because I think that everything that happens in your life, like, leads you, like, everything that has happened to me has led me to, like, 
seven, sixteen, five, sixteen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. right now. You know, and I'm obviously this is not like I hope my end goal is not like living in my parents' house. You know, right, but, like, right. I'm okay with like where I am right now. Um, and I think I'm on a good trajectory to like get to the places I want to go. And there's probably things that I'm going to end up doing that aren't even like in my headspace yet. And I think that's so cool. Um, but that's what happens when you let life kind of happen, you know, mm -hmm. um, and something I've been doing recently, especially throughout the pandemic is trying, like, I've always been a planner. Um, mm -hmm. and this pandemic, I like, can't, you can't, <laughs> you know, like you just can't cause things are changing every day. Um, not as much as they were like a year ago, but still you know we have to be vigilant and things can change at any moment um as we saw you know um but yeah so i think i honestly forgot what question you asked me <laughs> oh no it's fine i was i was i think i was trying to go into the direction of like the pandemic and doing all these videos but no i yes. actually yeah no we'll definitely talk I'm about getting this. there yeah okay, yes that, i was getting Please there i just forgot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay but anyway yeah so when i was a junior um that was kind of when I was like, okay, I know that like this music ed thing is kind of whack right now for me. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was like, I think I'm going to start putting more, like it wasn't a requirement of me or anything, but I started to put more emphasis into like my performance side of my degree, um, which, um, you know, the further on as in music ed, I'm guessing most programs are like this, but I don't know, you know, it becomes less and less performance based the further you get into it. Mm -hmm. um, but I try to make sure to like keep that up because I felt much better like playing and performing than I did teaching. Um, at least teaching like in a large classroom type setting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't really know what that was, you know, like I did a junior recital I wasn't required to do because I was like, I need to challenge myself to like learn new stuff to like play more, you know, um, and it was great. So I did two recitals in undergrad when I was only required to do one. Um, and then I did some other, you know, I played in chamber ensembles even though it wasn't a requirement just stuff to like keep me going um and I think a big turning point for me was between my junior and senior year I saw um our school our like musical theater program did a production of Legally Blonde which I think it's so funny you mentioned that earlier because that's like one of my favorite musicals now oh that, it's but yeah side note for me it's, I, it's not that I don't like Legally Blonde I, I love the musical it's with me the shape is my favorite freaking track from there yes sorry go on <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um for me it was like it was just kind of like a slap in the face but like a good one you know kind of like a happy not a slap maybe like when you see some you really have to see someone you like squeeze their face that's what it was <laughs> but it was it was cool to me because not only like appreciating it as a musician like the production quality was so high like you would think if you didn't know this was like a college production like that could have been the broadway production like it was that good but i just hit the mic sorry you're good, <laughs> but you're good. The, um <laughs> the thing to me was like it was so crazy to like i like saw this super high energy show and like they're doing all these you know the girl is playing brooklyn and was like singing with a jump rope and i'm like how could you do that that's so crazy what? and then you go to class on monday and it's the same girl like wearing a baseball cap with no makeup because she just woke up five minutes ago i'm like she's literally the same as me like what am i doing like how could she do that and i'm just like here wallowing and like you know and so that was kind of like um i was like i can like we're in the same kind of circumstance and i can i can be doing more to get me to where I want to be. And so mm -hmm. I think that was kind of like where my mindset shifted to be like, you know, use 
like, yeah, I don't, I might not want to um, use this degree in the way that it's being like presented to me, but I can mm -hmm. still use the skills I'm learning from it to do what I want to do. Absolutely. And ever since then, like I've been trying to, that's really helped me. And so the long way around. Um, so before COVID, I was touring with a group called Up With People, which is um, a music performance and like service learning group. So the, the short rundown is that we go to a different um, community every week. And so it's funny because our tour, we only got to go to three cities. We were supposed to go to 15 cities. Um, but most of my tour was learning the show that we performed like eight times and then it got canceled. Um, but it was fun um, and it was really, um, you know, exciting. So the first actual like virtual collab thing I did was with the cast from the show. We did um, like our signature song from the show um, a little bit after we were all home and, you know, like everyone recorded their little part and we put it together and stuff like that. And it was really nice. Um, but at that point, I like didn't know anything about video editing. I barely knew anything about mixing. I was just like, just send me this video. And at first I was going to just like layer the videos in and like let the video editor be the mixing, which I'm very <laughs> happy that the guitar player from the show was like, hey, I have Pro Tools. I can mix this. I was like, thanks, because it's not sounding good right now. Um, yeah. So that's a big no-no. Don't do that ever. Um, but yeah, so that was the first one. And then, you know, ever since then kind of grew the other ones first just doing like multi-tracks myself and then starting to reach out to other people. But honestly, like if I didn't have any of that stuff, like I would not have been practicing this whole year, you know? Um, and I mean, even now, like there's, I still find it hard to find motivation to practice. I don't really practice like for practice's sake anymore. Like I practice to practice whatever I'm going to be recording and then mm -hmm. that's it. Um, and I'm starting to like, I mean, obviously, I have something to practice for now, but um, I'm starting to kind of get back into that. But like meeting, I've met so many people. And that's that's one thing I like to say is like, I really do hate COVID. And I wish, well, mm -hmm. I don't want to say I wish it had never happened because I wish the disease had never happened. But the circumstance that it put us in, like I've met so many people that otherwise I never would have mm -hmm. like ever connected with. Like I probably never would have connected with you if it wasn't for like all of this stuff happening. And right. it's... um. You know, like a lot of people I use in my collabs are people I either went to school with or know from like various things I've gone to. But honestly, like at this point, I'd say a higher percentage of people in my stuff are people that I've never even met in person. It's like I've met them through Instagram or someone mm -hmm. I played with before. It's like, hey, if you need someone for this, you know, do this kind of thing. And I just think that's so cool. And I think that's going to like change the way we approach like how we make music, like coming yeah. in coming out of the pandemic. Um, and I think that's really cool. So Absolutely. No, yeah, I felt so I felt your... very inspired by what you were doing. So that's why I'm like, I want to take of what she's doing and somehow apply it to myself because now I'm even trying to like record my own little snippets. My first one you already saw was of WAP. Your like, WAP video. It was so good. I bad ass laughing. I also think it's very funny how on my YouTube channel, my WAP video has almost 7,000 views. And that took me like 30 minutes. Whereas <laughs> my other videos that take me like weeks to edit have like 70. <laughs> like it's, I know it's because it's, you know, like it's popular and stuff. I'm not mad at it. I just think it's funny how like the thing I put the least amount of effort into is like the most viewed thing on there. That's yeah. I, I remember that tweet too. You're like, hey, if I get this many likes, I'll make a, a marching band arrangement. I'm like, I hate you, but I love you. <laughs> I was not, I was literally expecting that to get like 20 likes, like my normal, you know, 20 loyal followers. Thanks, y'all. Um, but no, I like woke up the next day and it had like 2,000. I was like, who, who are you? Like, how did you find my profile? But then I was like, I, I'm a woman of my word. I have to do this now. So then I did it. 
And now it's done. It was A plus. It was fantastic. It was fun. All right. Um, I feel like I accidentally cut you off from saying the next stream of things. So, um, so yeah, of the, doing those videos, like I noticed a theme that it's a lot of Disney Channel or musical uh, selections. So from a, having a brother who's really into hip hop and then you're into like, you're like queen of Disney Channel. How did that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it just, well, it's funny because like when we were in high school, my brother would like, I would ride with him because we used to share a car, obviously. I mean, who doesn't share a car? We're only 18 months apart, too. So, um, <laughs> and like, we're not rich. So, um, but yeah, so whenever I would ride with him, he was always like playing this stuff. And, I, and you know, I, I used to be one of those people who was like, this is so degrading to women. And I don't condone like, you know, lyrics that degrade women. But I think there's more to it. And there's like, like music in itself is it's so like nuanced like there's so many things within it that you can't just like look at one aspect of, of something and then write it off because of that um and i used to be the kind of person who was like especially with hip-hop i think it's just because the kind of hip-hop that i was exposed to at the time but like i didn't like listening to it because production wise a lot of it was so simple so like you hear this the drum beat and it's just the same thing so i would get bored and so then i'm like okay let's listen to something else i'm listening to the lyrics oh, i don't like that because like why are you saying that about your mom like you know or whatever you know whatever it is and so for a long time I was just like you know I'm just not gonna like why but there's so much um like good music out there my brother actually has really helped me just kind of like expand like even if I don't I'm not gonna like you know be like yeah these lyrics are the best thing ever written mm -hmm. like because a lot of times it's just very like simple like if you actually listen to stuff it's like this is this is number one why you know um but there's there's so much that goes into it um and i think doing that has kind of like helped me kind of like meld you know so for instance like the hamilton video that you were in mm -hmm. um yeah that's broadway and i mean hamilton itself is kind of like you know a new form of broadway but even there it's like it's broadway sounding but it's if you didn't know it's broadway you might not know it was like because of the way that i kind of went about you know doing it um mm -hmm. And that's something I try to do, like, with every arrangement I have. Um, not as much with the Disney ones, because marching band is kind of a different niche. But um, with everything I do, I try to, like, do something that you wouldn't expect. Which, one, a lot of stuff I do, for instance, like, Stevie Wonder with a French horn soloist. That's already a new thing. But then, like, yeah. how else am I going to make that, like, sound different? Like, sound like something that you won't expect. Um, and I think that's something that I like to do. But I definitely have been trying to, um, like just see like what really i can do like that's i think that's gonna mm -hmm. be my goal like for the next like couple of years is just to be like what can the horn really do because i feel mm -hmm. like everyone's over here like let's play mozart 2 again like no <laughs> stop playing old. mozart <laughs> it's too old let's get um, the no, now no, stop playing mozart. <laughs> you know mozart is is it's a good foundational thing but it's not the end-all be-all um yeah yeah and I feel like for some, like, I don't know if it's like this with trombone. I feel like it's probably a little bit less with trombone since it's a little more, you know, like trombone has jazz and big band and yeah, yeah. some more commercial stuff and French horn. Um, but it's just like, we get it. Mozart wrote horn concertos. Like, okay, let's go play something else, you know. Um, and so that, that's something that I've just been trying to do a little bit. Because um, horn can do a lot and not just like play B flat scales, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it can do so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. No, I, I mean, and 
Yeah, with trombone, we don't really get a lot of that. We get a lot of like, what transcriptions have you done? Do you know about Frank Rosalino? Do you know about J.J. Johnson? And that's like, yes, I know. It's like, you should do Miles transcriptions. I'm like, okay. So like, we get hounded about transcriptions a lot. Gotcha. Um, but not really about like old school. I mean, sometimes we'll, like there's some guys I'll talk about like orchestral excerpts here, but like that's always within like the jazz forums or the trombone forums on Facebook. So, I mean, it's good information, uh, but sometimes right. I'm like, I like to see more current things, please and thank you. Like for yes. example, the person who's been really killing it in the trombone world is um, Scottoo Network. I don't know if oh you yeah, ever... he's, they're great. Yeah, he's absolutely killing it. And then uh, as same thing with this uh, nerdcore rapper named Kadesh Flow, who's a trombone, he's the trombone player from Kansas City. And then he also raps and he raps good. Like, it's like, that's, I don't even know, cool. it, like, how do you how do you do do both that well? Like, I don't get it. And so I'm really glad that trombone's been kind of peeking its way into the um into the hip-hop scene because i i know another actually now that i'm thinking about it, i know another trombone player who's also in hip-hop his name's christian mm -hmm. ronzana i'll just name drop sorry my bad <laughs> but yeah like it's it's been transitioning but yeah you don't get to see a lot of horn and um, not a lot of horns like i if anything like i i i always see it as like you know what you're trying to transcend past is like the proper like orchestral instrument that just like all the nice solos or supportive roles but nothing that transcends into like more pop or into more musical aspects mm -hmm. and i think that's beautiful i think that's beautiful that you're actually like venturing into that and making it more useful than just those two making it more useful than the genre that it's been kind of narrowed in so Mm -hmm. so um so yeah no i thought that was amazing and then now that you've kind of done a recent thing where now you're a part of an organization um with all like i'm sure with all the networking that you've been doing um and of course this is just by like hey who's this person or how can i how can i do my project and whatnot but i think you found enough folks who are black and people person of color that there's now a collective, like you helped, you know, create a collective, which I'm flabbergasted because I'm so glad to see this um, and seeing a bunch of people of color who are mostly women um, in this collective uh, thrive in it and give each other like, you know, advice or like there's a mentorship panel and all that stuff. I thought that was like amazing to see. So do you want to kind of go into that and how that was kind of conceived? Sure. Yeah. So um, she's talking about the Chromatic Brass Collective, which mm -hmm, you can find mm -hmm. out more information about at www.chromaticbrass.org. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so really, that was just born out of a we had a conversation last summer. Um, I think it was in July or something. Um, and it was just kind of coming out of the George Floyd, um, the murder of George Floyd and kind of talking about, um, you know, how that how being black basically intersects with you know the things we experience as brass musicians as women brass musicians um and so from that you know we like we had that conversation in a live public forum and then after that we were still like having conversations just like i think maybe mm -hmm. monthly or something just kind of talking about you know different issues that we faced and you know just kind of build, trying to build a community of support um mm -hmm. like within you know just to, because that's something i don't know like for me anyway, I think something that was interesting for me coming up is that I've always had women um, mentors or role models, but have never really had like, not really until I got to undergrad, 
um, have had people of color, but specifically black role models. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, I was like, oh, that was like, I was, I like felt more comfortable. I didn't realize I'm like, I feel more comfortable around this professor, like, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's black and he's like chill and, you know, we can, mm-hmm. we can, we can AV and like know what it's about. And I don't have to feel like I'm like, you think I'm less, you know, intelligent because I'm talking to you like that kind of thing. Um, but that kind of stuff is so important. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you don't get to really talk about, like with people who don't also experience that. Um, and so that was really special. Um, and I don't really remember how we like, decided to make it an actual organization or anything but we yeah pretty much since last july so it's almost been a year um maybe it was june i don't know what is time um but it's almost been a year since we've been like having these meetings and kind of just talking about you know how monumental something like this would be um and i think we're really going to you know just kind of like change people's viewpoint of like because normally if you were to go see or i've like seen stories of seen and heard stories of you know like a black person being in an orchestra and they like walk into the concert hall and the person's like are you dropping off like a doordash order for someone you know it's like no like i'm in the orchestra you know and there's so many of those and it's just disheartening and i hate that you don't you know kind of like i was talking about earlier how you don't really equate being black with like playing a classical instrument i mean this is more a classical like focus but like changing the overall like perspective of when you see a group like when you see when you see brass band mm-hmm. what automatically pops into your mind and like trying to challenge that it's like it can also mean like it can mean this it can also mean this mm-hmm. um and i think that's been happening a little bit more with like gender equality than like um you know starting to peek into like ethnicity and race and stuff like that but um you know we're trying to tackle both in one mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. definitely you know um have a lot of work to do in both areas but i think um that intersectionality is what makes this collective really special too. So. Yeah. I, I sincerely like appreciate, I remember when you're like, Hey, there's this chat of, you know, like-minded black musicians, you want to join it? And I'm like, what is this? (laughs) But like, I wasn't doing it to like, be like, what is it? I was at the time I was like, Oh, there's so much already going on. Do I want to be not part of another thing? And that's where <laughs> I was kind of coming from with it. And I'm like, no, just throw me in there. It's fine. And then I just absolutely loved what it's come to be. So yeah, it's the collective or it's the chromatic uh, brass collective. Um, it's run by Yasmin mostly, right? Yasmin Richards. Yeah. So Yasmin uh, Richards is our president right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm one of her vice presidents and we have a whole board um mm-hmm. i won't run through all of their names but yes if you have any questions about that you can reach out to me or yasmin richards mm-hmm. yeah spokesperson pew, pew, pew. Yeah. <laughs> all right um it does look like we're actually kind of getting down to the closing notes of today's episode but is there anything else that you would like people to know before i ask you for your plugs um i really like beyonce and if you know her um her contractor please recommend me to audition for her. I would yes. love that very much. Yes, yes. It even says on her Twitter that she wants to be in Beyonce's band one day. That's it's like, true. It's my current dream job. So just help me make it happen. Mm-hmm. After homecoming, I'm like, all of us need to go in there. <laughs> there were no mellophones in that band. And I'm like, well, I think there may have been a couple. But like the mellophones weren't cranking enough for me. And I was like, I could have I made that mellophone section crank. And I just want you yes. to know that. So I'm here. If you need me, I'm here. You don't even have to pay me. Just like give me foods. Give me food and, and lodging. That's it. I will crank the mellophone for you. 
Yes, you deserve it. After all, after all of that you've written, as as long as I've known you, you've written a lot and you've worked your ass off. Also, by the way, congratulations for getting into Berkeley College of Music. Thank you. It That's- still feels fake, but it is real. <laughs> so <laughs> But just to be clear, um, yeah, with all your successes, Beyonce, please choose her. But getting into Berkeley, uh, yeah, you're going to be in Spain the whole time during your study, right? I will be in Spain. And I just started a countdown on my phone. It's 116 days until I move to Spain, which is crazy. So (laughs) please wish me luck. (laughs) Oh, you're going to do just great. I I believe in you. And if you're not, I'll just send you more care packages. (laughs) Excellent. I will need all the care packages, all of them. All right. uh, So, Aaliyah, where can folks find you? So I am on the Instagrams at Qualzilla. That's (laughs) Q-U-A-L-L-Z-I-L-L-A. And I'm also on the Twitter of the tweets, at Qualzilla. And on the YouTube, I am Aaliyah Danielle. Um, I also have a Facebook page called Aaliyah Danielle, but I don't really update it. But if you want to go like it, that'd be great. Um, I also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Aaliyah Danielle, which I currently have a whopping one donor. But, (laughs) you know, it's great that that actually um, Patreon is cool because you can get like I don't put anything out really right now because I have one donor. But if I had more donors, <laughs> you would get to see like behind the scenes, maybe like drafts, maybe like arrangements that I'm going to put out later but haven't been recorded yet. All that fun stuff because I definitely have fun stuff in the work. But um, the biggest thing you can do right now is subscribe to my YouTube channel because I've got lots of fun videos coming out in the next few weeks. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us today on Don't Cast and Drive. We've got Aaliyah Danielle Qualls with us. Woo! Um, Woo! You will guys will be able to find this interview on YouTube, Spotify, uh, as well as Apple Pods and this original home, SoundCloud. Please like the Lady Blurreds podcast Facebook page, as it is a network for two podcasts, Lady Blurred Sings the Blues, as well as Don't Cast and Drive, which is the interview segment of the, of the network. But other than that, uh, this is your host, Sometimes B, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.